Hey, welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast, um, broadcasting from all parts of the greater New Orleans area. Um, my name is Aaron Swoboda, and with me, as always, is Fredo and Dave. Say hello, guys. Hello, guys. Hi. Hello, guys. Dave's voice changed. Actually, we have a special guest. Dave, you want to introduce the special guest? Yeah, my daughter, uh, Olivia, thought she would uh, like to join us for trivia this week. So we're going to see if we can hook that up. But uh, so, you know, this we're obviously still in that, you know, phase two, you know, pandemic, lockdown, whatever type of stuff. And uh, um, so I did notice, though, that our usual looks like uh, our usual trivia spot is having trivia again mm-hmm. which I that we'll, we'll just we'll just kind of keep this uh without naming names but it just seemed kind of interesting because i would have thought that would be kind of like live music i didn't know if that was supposed to be maybe a phase three thing no i think that, i mean there's some rules uh, regarding live music which prevent it from happening still right uh, i did uh last over the weekend i did swing by finn mccool's just to uh to catch a soccer match and just to see and Obviously, there there's some guidelines related to masks and wearing them at all times. You're not on your table, you know, seated at your table. Bartenders come around picking up, taking orders. Hands sanitizers everywhere. I'm sorry. Did I see that Liverpool is the champion? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they, they were going to be a, just a question of time. They have built such a big lead, so I'm not even – it's like, yeah, it is what it is. Well, so, just so you know, I, I saw Kyle's – Post on that, and I went, Oh, Fredo, Devin, no, 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 trust me, <laughs> trust me. We are, we, you know, Arsenal right now is nowhere near or Liverpool, so I'm just glad we won today. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, but no. no, so, but no, but just get back right quick. It's uh, it's interesting that the guidelines are out there, you know, they're expecting uh, places to self police, if not, uh, people, you know, the community will police them. and you don't want to get on the bad on the bad uh, side of the mayor regarding that. So. Well, on uh, on Monday, I had uh, three of my friends from the Irish music session, and we sat on our on my back porch and played music, and uh, and we were all probably about six feet away from each other, and it was uh, but it was so nice just to sit on a back porch. It was nice out. Um, of course, we have a big tree, so it keeps things cool. But yeah, just played music for about you know, two and a half, three hours. And one person said it was like, that's the first time they felt normal. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But Dave, what have you guys been up to? I, I've been watching uh, Watchmen with my wife. Nice. Uh, HBO series. And uh, uh, really, really enjoying it. Um, I like how it, I haven't finished it quite yet. I think we're on the final episode. Um but I like so far how it sort of plays off the mythology that everybody already knows. Uh, it just builds off of it. So if, if you're dedicated to the comic or the movie, uh, you can still kind of live with that as being canon in your head. You have uh, read the uh, graphic novel, right, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. yeah, I, I, mean, I found that it's a lot easier to get into it if you know the details of what happened in that story, you know, because it gives you no introduction, just says, here you are, figure it out. 
And, you know, the movie for its part was slavishly devoted to that source material. They're like, the really, the only thing it differed in was the squid. Right. Um, that was about the only difference. And so, um, it's kind of nice, actually, for them to just lean into the squid in the, in the series for fans of the graphic novel who were disappointed in not having the squid. But uh, it's very good. I recommend it. I, I'd say at this point, I'm, I can think I can safely recommend it. And Fredo, you've seen the whole thing, right? Yes, yes. I, I was watching it when I was premiering uh, last fall, and it was I was blown away. I mean, I won't spoil anything because you still got to finish watching it, but uh, the way it ties itself up, it's really amazing. Cool. And uh, Olivia... Have you been watching the uh, Jedi Temple Challenge? No, I haven't been able to see it yet. You haven't seen it yet? Oh, I, I watched the new episode today. So um, it was funny. There was a uh, kid, they used the dark side again. And the kid, when they cut to the, the uh, uh, like their interview, he was like, you know, we were just, it was just going to be taking too much time. And he said, so I went and used the dark side. I guess there's got to be balance in the force, right? <laughs> I was like, hey, touche, kid. But no, <laughs> Olivia, you should watch it. It's a, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun show. I could, I could see you and your brother being, uh, or you or your sister being on that show. Yeah, I don't know. I think they would be uh, at each other's throats on that show. But uh, well, if you still had the bouncy house, you could make your own Jedi Temple course, you know. And oh, is the bouncy house gone? Oh yeah, yeah. You only get you only get it for a few days. Two days. Yep, two days. Well, two days of awesomeness. Okay. Well, as always, and our my feet. Our special guest, Olivia, is here for trivia, so we're going to move right into our Star Wars trivia using the Trivial Pursuit DVD Star Wars Saga Edition. Um, all right. Well, let's see here. Who, who, let's, we'll, we'll, start, we'll have Olivia. You're going to go last because you're going you're gonna to bring us all home, okay? So this first one's going to go to Fredo, and... It's what sticky body part does the OPC killer use to capture its prey? I'm sorry, you're gonna have to repeat. <laughs> right? I was, I was when I was reading it, I was like, "What? What the heck is this?" Uh, so you're yeah. stacking the deck with these difficult questions for the uh, grown-ups. But you, but you can you, you can deduce which movie it's from. Uh, yeah. What what sticky body part? That's where I lost you. Um, <laughs> Does the OPC killer use to capture its prey? Uh, I'm going to go with tentacle because I can't think of any other body part. It is the tongue. The tongue? Huh. Yeah, this was Phantom Menace. And oh, okay. The fish that's chasing after him. Yeah, 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 I remember that now. I don't know why, but I was thinking of the trash compactor monster. And then uh, that fish gets eaten by the bigger fish that right. then, then flexes his bicep, you know, in the most awkward <sighs> scene ever. Yes. So, um, all right. Well, okay. Dave, to yeah. you. Mm, let's see here. I, I should, I've, I've just read three of them. I should go with the first one, right? Um, let's do this. How many massive primary engines power an Imperial Star Destroyer? 
Oh wow, that's that's kind of a fun one. Uh, I mean, I guess you're you're basing that off of the rocket. It's firing off the back of the ship. Um, and, and just say, it, you know, how many massive primary engines? So yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it could be any number. I mean, honestly, but um, I'm gonna base it off of the number of uh, rocket boosts on the back of the ship, and I think it's four. Very close. It is three. Three. Ah. Yeah. Three. <laughs> yeah. Three. All right. Now, have you seen the back of a dark of a star destroyer before? Yeah. Dad. I know. <laughs> yeah, I always this does is the, that. This is the best podcasting moment of our show ever. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you ever seen the back of a star destroyer before? <laughs> yeah, Dave. Come on. Checking your cred. Checking your cred. <laughs> yeah. Well. All right. Well. Well, here's mine. Um, what detachable booster lets a small Jedi starfighter cover interstellar distances quickly? Oh, what the heck is that thing called? It's the, it, I don't know, is it called a hyperspace ring? That's my guess. Oh, a hyperspace transport ring. I guess I'm kind of right. You're close. I was close. All right. Well, so the three of us have been wrong. I've been the closest, but still technically wrong. So, Olivia, this is the question on this card. Who loads the Death Star plans into R2-D2? Princess Leia. I, and she said it was such a, God, this is so easy. That, that is correct. Olivia is the only one to get a correct answer on this podcast today. It was Princess Leia. Do you want me to ask you another one to see what you know? I know Palpatine's first name because my parents told me one time. What, what is, what is Palpatine's me. first name? It's Sheev. Right. It is Sheev. <laughs> it's funny, you know. It's kind of funny. Sheev. <laughs> Come here, so, Sheev. Right. So, uh, Olivia, do you like the uh, the prequels? Or the uh, original Star Wars movies better? Um, like, do you like episodes one, two, and three, or four, five, and six, or seven, eight, and nine? I like your favorites. I like the ones with Ray in them the most. They're the best. Well, do, seven, eight, nine. So yep. uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question from episode two. We're gonna see if you know this one. Who tells Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe? Hmm. Give you a hint. He was on the uh, the water planet where they made all the clones. I, rem I think I remember now. Okay. Um, it was, uh, it was Jan. Oh, she froze. I think she was given the right answer. She was. He was just talking to Obi-Wan. And then suddenly, attack! Pistol! Pew! 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 We will accept that as an answer. I think well, that's, we'll the that's the correct answer. She froze, but she got two questions right, folks. Olivia is the the Star Wars trivia champion. For Okay, I'm going to ask you a question here, Olivia. You're gonna, we're going to see what you think. Harvested from the planet Jeddah. 
what uh, the kyber crystals power what star wars weapon it's so easy lightsabers is there another answer there is also what other weapon would they power something kind of like um ezra's like gun lightsaber so it powered his gun it powered so tonight we're going to talk about they froze again i think but and but we're going to talk about Rogue One, and they used Kyber crystals to power the Death Star as well. So, um, yeah, Dave and Olivia are frozen, but Olivia is the the Star Wars trivia champion. So there we go. You know, uh, that's that was awesome. So, are, is she coming back next week, Dave? Oh, I don't know. She's she's making us all look bad. So we may have yeah. to take a break. Oh no, she's gonna have to defend her title. But uh, <laughs> but just in case you didn't hear me, the the Kyber crystals power both the lightsabers and the Death Star. Don't yeah. let anybody tell you otherwise. So especially at trivia. Oh. Yeah, especially at trivia. Yeah, the Death Star was powered by a lot of them. All right, you want to say goodbye to everybody? Bye. Bye, Bye Olivia. The the. The pew 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 moment was the best the best moment I think we've had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, if you're not a kid and you don't do pew pews when they talk about Star Wars blasters, I'm surprised. Because I mean that's a copyrighted sound. So um, all right, well, uh, uh, so what kind of what kind of news do we got uh, for this week, Fredo? What's what's going on in the land of Star Wars? Not as much, not much. Actually, there there is one bit of news that kind of came out. Uh, actually, not earlier this week, and that was IGN uh, dropped the first chapter of the Star Wars: The Hot Republic, the very first book, Lot of the Jedi* by Charles Sule. Uh, so, if you want to read, um, Dave's gonna have a link for it in the show notes. I'm sure. But spoiler alert, spoiler alert, it kind of tells the massive uh, catastrophe or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, right? no, yeah. Yeah, you can actually, it's interesting. They do introduce the idea of the High Republic when it takes place, the characters. And then they kind of drop a big reveal as to what's kind of going to go on in that book. And then they give you the chapter. Uh, so if you want to, I would, I would just scroll right to because uh, it's in a blue box, the, the text of the first chapter. Just skip all the preamble. Go to that if you want to read it. You can read it. And it's, a, it's an interesting read, of course. It's, a, it's setting up a whole new era in Star Wars. And um, it, it's, got, it's good. It's good. So. Did, you, did you guys see the uh, concept art of the like uh, Texas Ranger Jedi? I think I did. It looked really, really cool. It was like they took kind of the prequels, you know, almost Clone Wars, like Obi Wan with his um, stormtrooper gauntlets, you know, and mm -hmm. but the guy's lightsaber is on his hip, like Han Solo's blaster type of thing, and it's got a oh, curved yeah. hilt. It's got a curved hilt, so you know, make him look like I said, this uh, Texas Ranger type of uh, wider Jedi. I mean, you can totally yeah. see the uh, design motifs. I uh, still follow the idea of what the Jedi are, which you know. Uh, that, but it's, uh, but it's interesting, yeah. 
So you see all these this cool concept art of like Wookiee Jedi's and you know the Texas Ranger type Jedi, and I know that our 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 brain has the you know we should that reading is great and you know using our imagination is great, but some of these things I want to see like come to life somehow. I have to believe that that is going you know beyond a comic book. You know, with all uh, due respect to Daniel Jose Older, who's writing a comic book. Um, but you know, I, I would like to see some of these come to life because I think that just is such. There's some cool concepts coming out. Mm -hmm. So, what you said, you you gotta know, you gotta imagine that what they're planning on this. And I think we said this before. It's this is a launching point. If people well, respond to it really well, it'll be in animated TV shows. It'll be uh, in well, other properties. I look at the the thumbnail for the thing you you, you know, for the IGN article and the it's I guess what the cover of the book I believe, mm -hmm. yeah. but it shows shows a female a blonde female Jedi, which makes me wonder. You know, Brie Larson has said many a times on social media that she'd love to be a Jedi. Mm -hmm. So, is you know is which I think she would make an awesome Jedi, um, mm -hmm. and be awesome in Star Wars. But uh, who knows? Maybe. Yeah, it's exactly. I guess. It always it gives the opportunity, like I said, to branch off, to fire up the imagination, to get people talking about it, and then kind of go from there. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if all this, maybe not right now, but maybe say, you know, at the end of the 2020s, which I can't believe we're talking about that. But, you know, this could very well be the basis for the next movie series, you know, whatever that may be. Cool. All right. So uh, what else, what else we got? That's about it. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a very light week. I mean, there was, uh, you know, the new episode of Jedi Temple Challenge. And last week we had the final episode of Disney Gallery. So um, I know, and I'll, so I'll take this kind of next thing because I was ranting about it a little bit. I saw this oh. actually today. Um, but Hasbro actually announced a lot of uh, toys. A, a lot of toys this week. I saw there was a Bespin... Uh, place that it's like I saw this I was like oh that's really cool and it's like it's only half the scene though and so if you want to build the whole scene you got to buy two of them I'm just like darn you Hasbro you know um, but they've also they're doing a lot of Empire Strikes Back um, releases because of the 40th anniversary so there's a lot of a lot of cool things that are coming out but uh, per perhaps one of the most disturbing <laughs> toys and I, I actually, I was doing a lot of searching and see if this was a scam, but it's, I don't no, think it's, it is. It's, it's a Walmart brilliant. exclusive. It's a Walmart so, exclusive, costs $14.99, comes out this fall. <laughs> it's Baby Yoda Bop It. So, you know, Bop It, the game <laughs> where you have to either, you know, which I keep then thinking about the Saturday Night Live sketch, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but Bop It, when you have, but so here you, it's Baby Yoda and you're encouraged to beat punch. Baby Yoda, to punch Baby Yoda, just like the Biker Scouts did. And I'm sitting here going, my God, we're just like, now, granted, I watched Tom and Jerry growing up, and I never once thought about hitting my sister with a frying pan, you know, thinking that was going to be a good idea. But <laughs> so, is, is, this going, is this going to encourage somebody to start beating on their dog or to beat on their baby brother because they think it's funny? I mean, so while I, mean, I remember watching that episode and when they punched Baby Yoda, I, I did not find it funny. I was like, I got mad. 
Well, it's um, it's if you ever watch any of the reaction videos on YouTube, I know we're talking about uh, Blind Wave last week. Yeah, they do a reaction video to all the uh -huh. Mandalorian episodes, and it's interesting. The universal response to any of the stormtroopers hitting or punching the child was anger, vitriol, rage. The moment IG-11 shows up on screen, everybody's like, yes, get them, kill them. It's, it's not a, oh, you know, talk about it, oh, we feel sorry for it. No, it's a, it's total murderous rage for having punched a child. So. You know, we, we banned candy cigarettes because we're worried about it teaching kids to, you know, to no. smoke cigarettes. You know, they... You, so we're going to have a toy where you're encouraged to, you know, beat a baby. I oh, mean, I, maybe am I making too big a deal out of this? I mean, it's like this is I, I cannot believe they've made this. Oh, by the way, so you want to hear you want to hear the full press release because slash oh, film. Go for uh, it. Go for it. I'll okay. drink my beer and uh, okay, calm okay. down a bit. Okay, yeah, you might talk on the beer. Okay, that's right. This version of Boppet looks like the child that Star Wars fans fell in love with last year has exactly the same gameplay where an audio command tells you to pop, twist, or pull the figure, becoming faster and more challenging to keep up with it as time goes on. As you follow these commands, which will be given to you by the Mandalorian himself, so what? the Mandalorian voice is coming through this, you, you will hear sounds, you will hear sounds come from the child. Presumably, they'll be the same baby sounds he makes in the, in the show. So we're surprised he's not screaming in pain. Yeah. So, so the Mandalorian is going to be telling you to pop it, hit it, punch it, and it's going to be making the child's noises as you do this. Again, uh, Dave, Dave, you're the you're the only one here with kids. What do you think about this toy? Uh, you know, it's funny. It sounds like a Gag I don't know what. Well, I don't know why, but it f sounds like Favreau to me. It's just like, yeah, you know, people are going to want to hit this this baby in the head, so let's give them a toy so they can hit the baby in the head. And it's like, it just it just sounds like a very flippant kind of a thing, right? For for anybody at Lucasfilm to have signed off on, um, it sort of feels like New Guardish. Like, can you imagine George like signing off on something like this? Like, yeah, everybody beat on the sacred cow, so to speak. You know, the most popular character we've created over the last 20 years. It's like, no. Now, to be to be fair, back in the 70s, they did have the Darth Vader punching bag. Yeah, but that's you know? not Vader. That's, 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 that's not the baby. baby. Not a, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, I don't know. It feels then, like I a mean, new guard decision, not an old guard decision. And then, and then to have its adoptive parent telling it, telling you to beat the child, it's like, what the? What's all this about? Oh my yeah, god, that, that, that's pretty, pretty messed up. If it were the stormtrooper telling you to do it, and it's like, okay, well, that, you know, and the, that, and the fact that it's being and the fact <laughs> that it's being released at Walmart just even adds another element to it. <laughs> Walmart exclusive. Go, go buy uh, something your kids can punch. Oh my goodness. Well, Aaron, Lord. when you're talking about the violence factor, I mean, it's not surprising that, because, like, in our society, we look the other way on violence. At least when you look at things like the ratings board for movies, right? You can make the most violent movie ever, 
And if your swear words and blood count is low, uh, they're gonna they're gonna push it right on through with that PG thirteen rating. So, um, yeah. But when we're talking about when we're talking about toys, I guess I even see like if you make a blaster, that's I mean, it, that's not marketing child abuse. Which is, I mean, what I mean, take it a little seriously. That's essentially what we're doing is we're marketing child abuse, and because you know, I mean. I, I, I cannot believe that Hasbro and that that Lucasfilm, like we've said, has signed signed off on this. And yes, I know that we turn our head to to violence all the time, but I think it's kind of like you know you know pornography. I know what it is when I see it type of a thing. It's like there is that line where it's like, all right, we'll tolerate you know Darth Vader as we're going to talk about you know Rogue One later. We'll tolerate Darth Vader going down a hallway you know, slashing and whooping and a whomping and a wailing, you know, all the rebels within an inch of their life. But the minute that it becomes like, like I said, child abuse, then it becomes like, uh, I don't know if that's, you know, that makes everybody get kind of squeamish and uncomfortable. Um, but I just, I just can't believe I can't, <laughs> I mean. It makes me wonder, are there bop it, you know, like I'm not even very familiar with these things. Is are there boppets of like other children or baby figures? Fredo, even if they're Fredo, don't, Fredo, don't Google boppet child or kids. I mean, like, I should I be this upset over you know what's you know a very obviously fictional character, which you know is a green alien. Um, I'd be more upset if there was like a more lifelike, human-like creature that you could hit in the head as well. So I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. It seems ill-conceived. I'm not overly mad about it. It, it just sounds absurd to me. It's, like, it's another example of us living in this post-apocalyptic world, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, maybe maybe they'll make a Trump bop it, and that would be. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the prizes that exists. Now, now, Aaron, he's not an adult either. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> Sorry, we may have to cut that part out. <laughs> no, I think we should leave it. And I stop. I was going to take. I was going to take the joke to the next level, the next obvious level. But we'll just handle that one offline later, and we'll just. Uh, so yeah. You'll be able to buy the 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 baby boppet if you want to um, at Walmart, um, but I, I won't. As all the Star Wars stuff that I have, that's one I'm not going to get. Um, so, um, well, cool. So uh, this week our discussion. Um, it's funny we you know the three of us have this uh, our own little kind of group chat going on, and we see. Um, you know, funny Star Wars memes or, you know, different stories and things like that passing along. But I think, Dave, I think you actually tweeted this out. Um, it wasn't in our, it wasn't in our private group setting. It was just, um, you, I think, through the Who Dat Jedi podcast Twitter feed. And so, folks, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, there was a, a thread about uh, um, the most meaningful death in Rogue One, which then... Um, Got us, got us kind of thinking about. Uh, um, well, maybe we need to talk about a little bit about Rogue One. And actually, I just I put the cart before the horse, but bef because before we talk about Rogue One, um, 
we do need to talk about uh, uh, Disney Gallery, the final episode, just a little bit as kind of a preamble to this, um, because that last episode was all about, they called it connections, but let's be honest, it should have been called, say it with me, kids, fan service. <laughs> it's what, what it should have been called, right? I mean, first of all, uh, so but we're going to talk more about this in an upcoming episode. Um, and by the way, I said fan service, and I sound kind of snotty about it, but I, I loved everything that was was in this episode. Um, so just talk real briefly. We're going to, like I said, get more in-depth um, in the next uh, couple episodes about this. But what would you, what'd you think about all the connections? Did, did you, were there any connections they brought up um, that uh, you, you didn't notice the first time around when you watched the show? Actually, well, you know, it's interesting what I took the most out of this episode or the final episode was how eager John and Dave were to put those connections, to make those connections within the show and towards the fan base. It's it's something that they were cognizant of. They were not just simply, okay, we're not going to just have uh, Cantano and not know what that is. Oh, no, no. We're going to get the ice cream maker. And we're going to go actually get the model, the same exact model of the ice cream maker from Empire to bake our Cantano of um, of uh, Beskar Steel. So they're cognizant of what they're doing, as I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say. And I, I appreciated that in a way because it shows that they're aware that it's not in a vacuum. Sometimes I feel like some, some of the movies that you know, have been made this century, I guess, so the prequels, sequels, some of the other ones like they want to exist in and of themselves and this was uh favreau and filoni going no no we don't just exist in a vacuum we're building up outwards from something else that existed before and we're trying to connect to other things that, that will come after us dave anything stick out to you well yeah i mean the uh the, the whole ice cream maker segment was fabulous they led the show with that and i and i had the immediate reaction of is is his story going to end up in from a certain point of view too <laughs> <laughs> like that was the first thing that went through my head like watching this i'm like man there's a lot here we're really going in depth here with this character and the fans reaction to him and it's like oh wait you know, yeah, and I actually I actually have that action figure. It was a like I think it was a voted on fans choice. Maybe I'd have to look, but um, and it is kind of funny. It seems like Favreau kind of discovered. He makes it almost seem like he discovered you know Will Rowe Hood, but I mean that was uh, the the Star Wars fandom has been running no pun intended. You know with with that for a while. But I'm sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, I, but I, I'd be, I'd have a question for you. Like, had, did you see the running of the Wilbro Hoods when you? I were did. There? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That yep. sounds like it would be appointment worthy to try to catch them doing that. Um, my, my favorite bit was, I mean, when Favreau was sitting there with George Lucas, and he was so proud of his deep cut of the gun from, you know, Boba Fett in the holiday special. And Lucas just looked at him like, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
mean, it was it was like Favreau was the little kid that like spent all day drawing this picture for George Lucas and came up and showed it, and George Lucas went, "What the hell is that supposed to be?" You know, it's just like so. I I want to see more of Lucas's uh, interaction on set. That makes me wonder if it was with since that moment was so awkward makes me wonder if the whole visitation was awkward but uh well yeah if there were any moments of just like him being like i yeah i don't i don't know, you know <laughs> the things that, you know there's there was stuff connections i i liked all the connections where they put a lot of thought into it and and kind of it's like when you you're, you're gonna you're gonna play a cover of you know a Beatles song and you're gonna put your own twist on it. I appreciate those rather than the people who can play the Beatles song exactly like the Beatles played it. So what I'm getting at is like you know when I see Jawas doing other Jawa things and not the same Jawa things that I saw in Episode Four, or if I see the you know the salacious crumb in a cage watching another one on a spit. That that's kind of funny, um, but the Jabba's Palace door knocker when they use the exact same lines from Return of the Jedi, it's like they just went in and just took that audio clip and they use the exact same prop and you know to me that that was kind of like um, that. I mean that kind of connection didn't make me go. You know I wish I wish there would have been something more to it than just a straight up you know cut and paste but um uh, the other connection that i kind of liked was and it's funny it's the one that came up last was the idea of, of uh the director squadron and it, i mean because we all kind of had a good laugh when we saw it in that episode when it was deb brick and uh dave oh yeah okay gotcha yeah but what was funny is the fact that they were all dreading it and i didn't know so wait so uh so that's the x-wing that's in our in uh it uh, Galaxy Search in Orlando, Dave. So you saw it. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I, know. I had a moment, yeah, watching that episode of, of like, darn, I wish I had known that. I would have made sure to pose in front of it and everything. But so here's the here's the thing about that. There was another uh, we've when we've been talking about the gallery, we've been talking about how Filoni is being groomed and being prepped and it was like John Favreau, it sounded like the only person he really, 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 really wanted to make sure was in this was Dave Filoni. And Dave Filoni talks about how, how vulnerable it was to be an actor on the set and how, so it was, it was giving him that perspective of, of an actor that he has never had before. It's, well, it's just another, you need to understand what it's like from the other side of the camera, Dave. And so you need to, we're going to make you an X-Wing pilot. I, I, I just think it's like putting him, it's kind of like student teaching. You know, it's like, okay, you got to go on hall duty. Why do I have to do hall duty? Because you might have to do hall duty when you're a teacher and you got to know what that's like and how to deal with kids. Or, you know, uh, so I, I found that. I, I don't think it was just Favreau having a laugh. I think, again, it was another chess piece and another check a box of to make sure that, you know, Dave is going to be able to do all these things. I agree with that. And I, I like Filoni's comment at one point, and I think it was this episode, I may be mixing up episodes, but I think it was this episode where he, he talks about how they're like the kids 
with their older brother's leftover toys. Yeah. <laughs> it's like somehow they got a Boba Fett out of the deal, but everything else was just like rejects, like Jawas and Ugnots and stuff. And so like we got, but we got our Boba Fett, we painted him silver and he's the coolest toy ever. And uh, I just, I thought that was really hilarious um, way to describe it because I think from the very first episode when we've been talking about this show, if it's not the very first, first couple of episodes, we, we said, this is like people playing in, you know, in the sandbox with their toys, you know, and you know, it's just this new generation that have, they grew up doing that. And that's the exact point I was just going to make is that getting back to that George Lucas looking at, you know, John Favreau, like, what the hell are you talking about with this gun thing? Is that, you know, I've said before, and we're going to, again, we're going to talk about Rogue One here in a second, you know, Star Wars movies and Star Wars media is now being created by people who grew up with it as kids and who, when they got that, when, you know, they would sit there and rewind to see every bit of, you know, Boba Fett, or they would rewind and listen to the records to get all the lines, or they'd look over the action figures to get all the details. And um, they collect, you know, things with variants and stuff like that. And so I think, that's foreign to George Lucas. He's like, we just, it's just Boba Fett. What the heck? Who cares if he's, you know, got this color or that color, but to fans that matters, you know, because that was stuff that we studied. That was stuff that we, you know, looked into. Um, so no, that's, I, yeah, no, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, no, and that, that speaks to both the place of Star Wars as a, a source of inspiration for the next two generations of movie makers that have come in its wake. But it also speaks to, in some ways, the the difference that's going to happen now, that is happening now. George was inspired, I think we said this before, George was inspired by stuff that he saw. So to him, this was a means to an end. I want to get a blaster. I need a, no, I need a hand solder to hold a gun. It has to be a space gun. So this time, a space gun. His guys, his, his crew went in, his prop guys went in and designed it, and there you go. Um, now we're looking at it 30-some-odd years later, and they make the solo movie, and that gun has a particular reverence and a particular look that if you change it in some way, people go, what the heck? Because they recognize it, because they've lived with these movies for so long. So here was the, uh, the aha moments that, of something that caught me and went, ah, oh, did not know that. And it both, well, um, uh, well, so well. The first, the first big one was that Mark Hamill was the voice to the uh, droid, who was the bartender in the cantina. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know Mark Hamill voice. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was like, well, I'll be darn. Um, then I, you know, they said they used that was the actual. They didn't like recreate that one. Mm -hmm. That was that was Eve ninety nine from. I mean that that was the prop from uh, Jabba's sail or Jabba's palace. Yeah. So thought that was kind of cool. But then the other neat thing was, um, you know, putting in R five D four, which, you know, okay, that's cool. You know, because they said they had an R five droid, and they're like, let's paint them up to be 
R5D4, but then for Dave Filoni to say, to take that moment to say, but we need to put some like grease or, you know, oil crap that like dripped down where his motivator blew up. Right. So he still got that, you know, that scar from when the, mo I mean, that's attention to detail that it's like, if, if you're the guy on set, it's like, just let me paint the dude orange. He'll look like R5D4. Nobody's going to care. But there is going to be somebody who stops, pauses it, and goes, oh, my God, it's even got the little, you know, smudge in there. That was the attention to detail that I think, I don't, I don't think you would have gotten unless they were kids who grew up playing with these toys like we've talked about. And I think Fredo used the right word when he said reverence. Um, I, you know, there, we, we talk about the future of Star Wars, and we all kind of sit around and worry about, oh, what's going to happen, and are they going to get it right, and this and that. And it's just like when you, when you bring in people that have this level of reverence for the material, um, you're going to see good things happen. You're going to see magic happen. Um, and, and, you know, that's no fail-safe, you know. It's like you still have to be a good storyteller. You still have to have all the other elements. But if, if you have an appreciation for the material already, that's going to shine through. And the fans are going to appreciate that. And I think we all appreciated that. And that's what this episode was all about. Right. And, uh, and, again, in future episodes, we're going to talk about how much fan service is needed, warranted, um, you know, how much should fans be listened to, you know, not to give away the whole farm, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like if you, you know, are, are you going to be the band that writes a set list that, you know, you know, the, the crowd that the crowd is just going to eat up and you're going to put all the hits or you're going to create a set list that has the hits but has some obscure stuff you know for some of those deep cut people or are you going to be the band that goes on twitter and says hey kids we're going to be playing in your town tell us what songs you want to hear right because no. yeah there's because. a i was gonna say there's there's a balance to be struck there because it's real easy to slide one way or another and that can create resentment from fans well, because, you know, there's, uh, yeah, again, not to give away the farm, but, you know, John Favreau said, you know, need to listen to Star Wars fans when you create stuff. And we're going to talk about that in a future episode, so I don't want to get into that. But I will say that one of my favorite things, I was watching a, a Pearl Jam uh, documentary, PJ20, and um, Stone Gossard was um, talking about how it used to drive him nuts because, um, you know, Eddie Vedder would create the set list and he's like, okay, and we'll we'll put this song in here. Like I said, just stuff from deep in the catalog that have only probably been played twice in their careers. And Stone Gossard's just going, Oh, come on. Just let me play a hit, play a hit. You know, he's because he felt like you're kind of losing the crowd. But then he said at the end of the day, you realize that, you know, that, that it, you just can't, it just can't be candy the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, so, but so like all these connections, like I said, the ones that in, in the Mandalorian, I really, the ones where they like, all right, we're going to put the ice cream maker in there, but we're not going to have a dude running through, you know, the hallway with an ice cream maker. Right. It's, it's going to be there and it's going to hold the best car. I mean, that was like, okay, that's really cool. 
you know, because then it got me thinking about like, well, maybe the guy's running out of Cloud City with his with his money. Yeah. Right. You know, we've retconned that a little bit. Yeah, or you know the other, but it's when it's the things that's just one to one. It was kind of the you know that that seemed like it was just kind of too much. Um, but uh, one of the movies that kind of started us going on all this, though, when you start talking about fan service, was Rogue One. There's a lot of connections in Rogue One, and but earlier this week, like I said, Dave tweeted out um, it was it was somebody's tweet that said, "Who would you save in Rogue One?" Because they all die. Spoiler alert. Sorry, they all die. Um, uh, I give him credit here too. Geeky okay. girl Gab. Say that again because uh, you froze the, up a little bit. Yeah, I want to give credit the Twitter handle Geeky Girl Gab. Um, and she's a blogger, podcaster. Part of the um, part of a podcasting collective, so um, I want to give credit to that. That's where the idea came from, uh, but it really did inspire us into thinking about Rogue One a lot more this week. Um, and it really does tie in with what you were talking about, which you know is fan service. But but real quick, let's just go around the horn. Um, who would you who would you say? And well, and why and why? I I have two answers. Uh, first, no, answer, you can only say, you can only save one, Dave. <laughs> now, see, my answer changes depending on the following factor. Okay, so are you're we, going with the multi-universe theory. Are we are we breaking the fourth wall? Are we aware as audience as an audience member that it's still just a movie? And 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 would my decision how would it affect the movie, as it were? You know, um, looking at it that way, I don't think I'd save anybody. I think that it works the best as it is now. That's why you found the baby Boppet so funny. You... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody dies. Oh, but no, yeah. I, I, no, I, I totally. I totally, I totally understand what you're saying there. I yeah. totally understand. But, you know, you know, let's say we're, you know, in a fictional universe and I, I really responded to this character or I didn't think they deserved to die or whatever. Um, I'd say Bodhi. Um, and I said this on Twitter because his death seemed the most senseless to me. Um, it was just, you know, a grenade got lobbed into the, the <laughs> back up and, oh, you're dead. Sorry. You know, everybody else was on the front lines. Um, their death was a part of a critical part of the mission. Um, it uh, just... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take issue with you there, uh, yeah. because um, I actually, I thought his, I thought his death was actually the most meaningful because he, he at the very beginning of the story could have, you know, just continued to be an imperial pilot. But he knew something was wrong. And he said, Galen said that I could make right by this. That he wanted to do the right thing and be on the right side of history, knowing full well he was going to see one of the biggest, you know, rebels slash terrorists to try to make the ease. He knew what danger he was in <clears throat> from the get-go. And 
So the fact, and he was also the least military of all of them. I mean, except for maybe, you know, um, uh, sure. Sure. but still he was the least military of all of them. And for him to, to sack, because it's, it's really easy. And I, I always said it when I was a, when I was a band director, you know, cause we'd play, we'd march in the veterans day parade and in Nebraska in November 11th, that's probably going to be snow and cold and my like least favorite things, but, and my kids least favorite things. But I said, you know what? I said, it's the least that we can do for these people who have sacrificed so much. And so, you know, Bodie was just a truck driver for the most part, really. Right. And, but he wanted to, to do what was right and he wanted to fight and he wanted to make, so I, I thought that was the the biggest sacrifice and the most noble sacrifice of all of them. It, it, I guess it bothered me the most um, out of all of the deaths. Um, because oh, I, he was I'll give you that. I'll agree with you yeah. on that one. Yeah, it was like when that happened, Brittany and I both went, oh, you know. But uh, he was he was the least actualized person. Um, I think everybody else was kind of had already taken their hero's journey. He was just beginning his hero's journey. He had just turned he, he had finally started making the right choices um and you know it was very early on in that process for him and uh and so for for that you know for that reason his death is the most tragic maybe and i, I just yeah I, I i would again it would maybe hurt the movie the most to undo that one um but it would um it would make me happy. <laughs> I felt for Bodie. You know, we got we saw him get tortured on screen too. So right. I, you know, um, I, you know, at that point, I'm like, oh gosh, that poor guy, that poor guy. Fredo, who would you save? Uh, so, and I, to be honest, I've struggled with this question because you know that's why I didn't even answer on Twitter because I was just like, okay, there's about three or four characters I'd love to see survive but then that kind of cheats the whole point of the exercise no no freebies uh but it's also a question of which character would i like to have seen continue on and, and, that, and i guess that's that's really uh the way i was able to, to kind of answer it's like if all these characters which one of these characters would you have wanted to have seen in yavin or in hoff or on the alliance with luke Leahan? I think the answer to that for me was Chirrut. I love this character. I love the, you know, it's, uh, first of all, Donnie Yen's action movie god. So let's get that out of the way first. But it's also the idea of his connection with the Force because, you know, when Luke shows up, he doesn't know anything about the Force. And even there's nobody he can talk to about it. You know, think about it in terms of like Rebels where uh, Ezra has Kanan. At least he can go to and ask about all this. You know, Luke's in the Alliance and he's trying to be a leader and be a hero. And he's got a lightsaber, but it's not like he can go to anybody with any questions about it. I think imagine, having Jared, that would have helped. Imagine if it was a really old Chirrut handing the, uh, the map to Poe Dameron instead of, who is this, Lars Santeca guy? Yeah, Lars Santeca, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, what if it was Chirrut, you know? Uh, because, that would be cool. It, I mean, so. Um, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's, I mean, I think 
one of the things that Rogue One did really well, and it recognized that this was part part of the power of the original trilogy. It's those to use the word again, connections. It's those interactions between the characters that are going to get you to buy in and want to see the journey through. You know, the spectacle and the battles and the everything is fun, but you got to like these people in order to want to see them uh, win. And they did that. See, for me, it was uh, <clears throat> my my instant answer was Baze. Mm-hmm. Um, because by the time we meet Baze, he had already given up on what he was fighting for. His main thing was just pretty much to protect Chirrut, you know, but then he started, you know, he started buying into the fight. And then when he lost Chirrut, it was like, Oh, hell to the no. And, and he, I I would have liked to seen him, uh, them to retcon everything and see him fighting all the way through the entire rebellion. And, you know, and to be, like I said, grizzled old, you know, Bay's, you know, in the, uh, after the battle of Endor, you know, even, you know, in the, in the sequel trilogy, like I said, old man who, instead of Landau Calrissian going to find, you know, him on Pasana, maybe it was Bayes mm-hmm. who had that bit of information, you know, Lando still could have been in the movie, but, you know, um, but I mean, just the fact that I, I would have liked to, because he got that spark reignited, and then, like I said, it was just like, oh, you took my friend. I'm going to now take all y'all. And I would have liked to seen that fight keep going. So mine was base. But I do agree with, with Dave that Bodhi, well, except for the fact I think I went, I think I had a heavier heart when K2SO died. I, well, yeah. that, that one was rough because it really signaled the beginning of the end for all of them. Um, and it, it was just drawn out and painful to watch, but then you're like, crap, <laughs> they're all in a really bad way here, aren't they? They're all not going to get out of this, and this is where it starts. So that's what started this whole conversation was, who would you save? Um, so if you follow us on Twitter, let us know who you would have saved in, in Rogue One. Um, but um, so... I'm going to, we have a list of questions here to keep talking about Rogue One, but I'm going to throw this one out here because we're talking about connections or fan service. Um, what was the, what do you guys think was the best connection um, that was, that was made in Rogue One? And what do you think was the, uh, maybe the, not the best, was the worst, or can we all agree on what probably the worst connection was? <laughs> okay, everybody, one, two, one. three, Tarkin! Oh, oh no! Yeah. I, you were going to say the worst. I, I, were you saying the worst there, Fredo? Yeah, the worst. Yeah, I was going to. Oh wow! For me, the worst was uh, the Ponda Baba and Doctor Evazon. Oh. You know, with yeah, you know, you just watch yourself. It's like I, that was a groaner. <laughs> I was like, Actually, uh, I yeah, will agree other, with Scott Colesby on that one. That was that was a groaner. The other one that I was think of is when you have uh, when you cut to three people going Scarif, and you're like. Okay, do we need to have them in there? Agreed. Yeah, there, Agreed. But... I still say the best place for R2 and 3PO, um, or at least or at least R2. But anyway, there, you could have had the droids if when the when the cockpit door opens and we see the back of Princess Princess Leia just in the corner, you could have had R2 and 3PO. And that would have been like, you know, exactly. that would have been 
would have been great. All right. So just with Tarkin, is it is it the uncanny valley thing? Okay, so for me, so actually weirdly enough, no, because you recognize, I mean, the back of your head's going, this dude has been dead for quite a while. So you recognize that there's no way that um that he could be doing this. I think for me it was more on the lines of his role in the story, particularly as it pertains to his relationship with um uh, Krennic. I found that, you know, in some ways having Tarkin there kind of diminished Krennic a bit for me because it made him more of a stooge as opposed to a full-on villain that, that you know, the story demanded. That's fair enough. But I mean, there's always, there's always a bigger fish. I mean, it's yeah. not like Krennic was, you know, one step below the emperor, but I get, I get what you're saying. It took, it took some of the, some of the wind out of the sails. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the uh, the infighting and conniving uh, in that's like shown in this movie they really flesh out a lot in the newer novels as well. Um, so it, it kind of becomes whether whether you like it or not, it's kind of here to stay. <laughs> I mean, they're all trying to backstab each other, um, and they're all trying to get ahead and get promoted and into the emperor's good graces and um and it makes sense um but you know it's i guess it's just take it or leave it you either like that or you mm -hmm. don't mm -hmm. oh no but you see the, the 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 actual performance the actor voicing him i didn't have a problem with it i, I had no problem with with the performance of tarkin you know as you know as, um, as a character so, so i will i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna Pause just for a second because I want to get Dave's um, worst. Uh, worst, but then, but then I'm going to come back and tell. I'm going to tell you why there's there was something even worse in this movie than for the story than Tarkin. So, Dave, go ahead. What was your worst? You just watch yourself. <laughs> okay, so you yeah, you're, I mean, you're with me. Yeah. You're with me. All right. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I I laughed. I did, but like. Uh, they could have been done. It could have been done. It could have been something else. It's like, okay, you want those two characters in there? Fine. But it's like you said with the with the ice cream maker, you know, repurpose them in some way. Don't have them one note doing the same thing. Yeah, or have a wanted poster. You know, uh, yeah. I've got the death sentence on twelve. Says yeah. So, uh, or like imagine if you had recast them as possible uh, double agents for the Empire, you know, people did like somebody who Cassian thought he could connect with for in Intel and they turn around and betrayed him, that kind of thing. You still get them in the movie, but you're getting them in a way that's not just, oh, hey, that, that's the guy who said the thing. And he said the thing again. Yeah. And he said the thing again. So, all right. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell Fredo why there is something worse than Tarkin to kind of ruin the story a bit little bit and everybody come at me this is darth vader the the only reason darth vader is in this movie is for the last scene which that last scene was awesome but there is otherwise no reason to have vader in this movie whatsoever and i think i think that deflates krennic even further it makes actually Vader bigger than he actually was because, I mean, in episode four, he was the Emperor's lapdog. 
-hmm. he was not really i mean you saw those you know all the other imperials in the conference room you know you know just smacking back at him so right. people were not as intimidated by him as they tried to make him out in rogue one so the only reason i think that you have vader in any of this was um was just like i said for that last scene so they could have it and just for to make people go oh it's vader um but i think i think that took more away from the story than the tarkin part of it but what's interesting is you don't need i mean it's interesting you could have just had vader come in at the end because you know from the start of episode four that vader's hunting the attentive four vader's hunting after the deaths are planned so he's aware of kind of what happened in scarab I agree with you. If the, if the first time you see Vader is when that Star Destroyer comes out of light speed and yeah. you just see Vader at the bridge, perfect. I yeah. agree with you. But my point is that I think having him in earlier in the movie and all the stuff did did more to deflate. It just kind of I think I think it was worse than Tarkin because it made sense, you know, because Tarkin was running the whole Death Star thing. He was, you know, when mm -hmm. we saw him in Episode Four. Um, so it made sense for him to be there. By the way, does that do you think that that inclusion of Vader or increase of Vader's time was a result of the reshoots and all the drama that happened behind the scenes with the production? Because it's, I mean, this was a production that had a lot of issues. I had heard a lot. I mean, I'd always heard about. Actually, I heard about Vader on the beach, like a whomping and a whooping. You know. <laughs> um, I I had heard about that long before. Dave, you're going to say something? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, that's what I'd heard as well. Um, and also, like, just to step back slightly, I I do enjoy the stuff on Mustafar. Um, it a it's 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 a nice little thing for the prequel fans, right? Who had not been thrown a bone in the in the new canon really at all since Disney bought. Um, Lucasfilm, they they hadn't gotten much, um, and so getting that little Mustafar scene was a nice thing for prequel fans. But also, it really sent my mind going in like fifty different directions at the time. Like, wh why does he? Why is he living on this planet where he's suffered his greatest defeat? Mm -hmm. You know, he's been maimed here. Uh, uh, you didn't he, do the summer reading. Oh. <laughs> he killed his wife. Uh, I mean, like, there's all this stuff. And it's like, why? Pretty soon know? Darth Maul's going to show up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it was very, um, uh, it was a very, like, vexing moment from that perspective. It's just like, whoa. Like, what does this say about him? And his and his uh, mindset that Obi Wan is in his head to that degree that I'm gonna just stay here on this planet after this defeat. It's incredible to me. And I want to and I want to get back and and then again that I, I agree with you that that takes you out of the movie itself. Well, uh, start, yeah, I mean it's a know, different thing altogether. That's why right. I think I agree, Fredo. What we were talking about earlier, it's like. Now imagine, if you will, we hadn't seen or heard anything about Vader until the Battle of Scarif, and boom, death! You know, there's a Star Destroyer, and there's Vader on the bridge. That would have made everybody just go, ah! you know, right. other than you know, 
don't prepare it. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations. <laughs> you made a joke. Um, but, you know, and that and the other thing that bothered me was that I'm glad they got James Earl Joyce, James Earl Jones's voice, which, by the way, uh, man, James Earl Jones was trending on Twitter today. And my first reaction, oh, God, was, oh, God he died. You know, but anyway, he's he's still alive. But they got him to voice the part, which was awesome. But it doesn't it 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 doesn't sound like th that's not congruent with the the Vader voice. And actually, I'm not so much disappointed with James Earl Jones's performance as I am. Come on, you got all the technology in the world. Can't you you know compress that or you know do some pitch dropping stuff like that to match it a little bit more to what Vader sounded like in 1977 or, you know, 1983 even. Um, so like I said, I was, I was a little bit disappointed with Skywalker sound on that one, but. Oh, okay. Uh, so let's, let's get in the positive here. Like what are. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. No, so what was, what was the best. Yeah, before connection? we get it, before we get lynched by the crowd. Yeah, well, <laughs> what was the best connection? Uh, Dave, what was your favorite connection? Fan service connection. Uh, this is a little bit more thoughtful a connection. It's not as obvious as one, um, but the fact that um, the Empire um, orphaned Jen Urso and she ends up stealing the Death Star plants and they orphan Luke Skywalker and he blows up the Death Star. I just think there's this, this really nice symmetry there. And it's kind of poetic about, it's his commentary on the cost of war um, and how we can basically create our undoing in a way if we're not mindful about how we approach the world around us and, and, and like, you know, Today's today's victims are tomorrow's freedom fighters, you know that kind of thing. And um, I just, I just, I really love how that rhymes. And it, I'd say that's my favorite thing about it. So mine's far less thoughtful. That was that was an A plus answer. I'm going to give you a C minus answer, and that's Vader in the hallway. That was like. To, to see Vader actually use his lightsaber because he wasn't really... I mean, those were lame lightsaber fights in the original trilogy. You know, he Vader. wasn't looking to kill. And, well, and, but people were people have tried to explain that away like, oh, he was, you know, Obi-Wan was weak or, oh, he was a beaten down, you know, old man, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, no. It's like we, we knew that Vader was this killing machine and now to see it, and that whole hallway scene was just like, oh dear lord, you know. Um, it was it was just awesome to see. I thought that was that's what we've been waiting for. So it was a fan servicey moment. That was that was mine. So C minus answer because I didn't put much thought into it. Dave, yours was an A plus answer. So Fredo, what was your favorite? It's it's a, it's a small moment, but it's something that I, it kind of sunk in my head the moment I saw it. Went perfect. Uh, Battle Scarif when you get to see all the uh, squadrons report and they intercut red and gold squadron in with blue squadron. Yeah. And then when and the fact that they sent blue squadron to the base, down to the planet surface, and that's why they didn't, you don't see them in episode four. But just the idea of 
Well, of course they would have taken part in this battle. They were there. But you don't think about it until you see them. And they, they managed to intercut the footage from a new hope in to make it all seem fit seamless. I just went, awesome. And by the way, I want to say, and I, first of all, I, Rogue One, I think, is like at the top of my favorite Star Wars movie lists. Um, you know, the ones that I, if it's a rainy day, if there's one I'm going to put in, it's probably going to be Rogue One. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other things, other connections I thought were really cool. I loved the Rebels connections, seeing the ghost in, uh, you know, parked there at um, the Masasi Temple um, to see the ghost flying around at the Battle of Scarif, to see Chopper go by and to hear General Sendula, you know, Come to the main office, you know. <laughs> announcement. <laughs> uh, I, I thought those were those were cool, um, especially just hot off the heels of you know of being into rebels. Uh, so, um, but you know, it was uh, there. There was a lot of fan servicey. So, any other fan servicey things that maybe honorable mentions that you kind of kind of dig? I'd say General Radis. You know, that was a really cool thing because, like, I think, like, some people were perhaps hoping for a uh, uh, Akbar cameo. And no, we don't get an Akbar cameo, but we get these other Mon Calamari. And uh, uh, that was really kind of cool to see, um, especially because he was just like this really cool character. He's no you nonsense. Get, uh, you do get some Admiral Radis in the Darth Vader comics. Mm-hmm. So well, that's cool. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know which came first, chicken or the egg. But yeah, Admiral Radis was cool. I agree with you. Fredo, yeah, any other uh, any other yeah. honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there's any other that just kind of just pop in. Uh, I guess I just like the way that they folded in Bail Organa because it explains why Leia later. Number one explains you know why he's headed back to Alderaan to go die with. Everybody else there, but it also explains why um, uh, he's willing to uh, send Leia into a <laughs> into a battle uh, battle uh, in order to get the plants out. So I just love that little moment when you see him in there. So, um, Dave, one of the questions you posed to us was: Is Rogue One an essential piece of Star Wars? And um, I think that's an interesting question because there's a lot of people who. Um, when you start talking about uh, what order do you watch the Star Wars movies in, and people will automatically either skip over Rogue One, or you know, or or you know, or or fight you over. Well, I think you should have to watch Rogue One. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I th- if if I was watching it, I think it would make total sense to put to uh, like I said, I watch it in the machete order my own little machete order. And I think uh, going from uh, from episode three into Rogue One into episode four makes total sense. And I think it, it actually would for, if you were to introduce Star Wars, you know, to people, I think it would, it would help them understand the story greater. So I, I guess my two cents. I don't know, Fredo, what do you think? Uh, no, actually, I... I think it is essential. Uh, you know, there was a time where I was like, well, they're just giving us the background story that was explained away. But I think particularly from an emotional standpoint, it's vital to understand the state of the galaxy 
before we get introduced to the quote-unquote new hope. I think that's one of the hard parts that uh, sometimes gets forgotten because once you get into the story of Luke and Hannah and Leah, you're following their story, but you're not necessarily seeing the connections of the dangers of the empire or how evil and oppressive the empire is. I think Rogue One provides a good, strong foundation for uh, fans and the audience to understand this is what they're fighting against. You know, that's something that Rebels did rather well, showing you the oppressive regime of the Empire of Lothal as juxtaposing that against what the crew of the Ghosts were doing. And it's much the same way. I mean, just the idea that it's gotten to the point where uh, Cassian is willing to shoot an informant in order to escape and not be revealed, showing you the, the state that the rebellion is in. So I think it's important. As for order, I mean, you could probably, I mean, if you do the machete order or if you do the traditional four, five, six order, you could probably go back and do, you know, if you do four, five, six, one, two, three, and then put Rogue One. I think it still works. Yeah, we, we sort of, when whenever we watch Rogue One, um, my wife and I, we feel um, a strong desire to watch A New Hope right after it. Um, they, they go together very, very well. Um, and that becomes sort of problematic in the sense that A New Hope is the perfect opener for any new Star Wars fan, I think. Mm -hmm. that's, what the, that's the movie I'd start them on. So, yeah, I, I probably at some point of doing like some machete order of uh, four, five, uh, one, two, three, solo, rogue one, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It'd be something See, like I that. And I don't, I don't think solo is uh, necessary as an essential piece. I don't think solo is an essential piece. If I'm going to have people, you know, to the overall story, to me, that's kind of like a here, come here, son, sit on my knee. I'm going to tell you about, you know, just this story that happened one time. Um, and it's because, and this isn't about solo. And I, I loved the movie, but it was like all the solo things piled into one. Whereas Rogue One was about, we need to get the Death Star plans so we can blow this thing up. So it may, it makes sense in the overall story of the Rebels versus the, the Empire or the rise and fall of the Empire. Um, Solo is just kind of a, uh, a, a, a fun, fun story. It's line, yeah. It's, it's extra. It's a little bit extra. If, yeah. if you see it, you enjoy it, you have a good time with it. If you don't, your overall understanding of the yeah, of the story doesn't diminish. I you know it's funny because like I kind of I tend to agree with you guys about that, but I also feel like um, when I sat down and really look at Solo, and again this isn't a Solo episode, we'll get to Solo I am sure again. Um, but when I look at it, um, like, and I try to understand the themes. Um, and what the filmmakers were trying to achieve with that movie, um, it's really sort of breathtaking. Um, and it's, it's not just a, you know, you know, a one-off, here's this silly thing over here, it's just a fun story and that's all it is. Um, it's really, really deep, that movie is. Um, but um, we are talking about Rogue One, I think that Rogue One in particular is more essential to the overall story than Solo, and I would agree with you guys in that. Um, 
And I think it's because it's so different. Um, and, and this is kind of what Fredo was getting at with some of the darker elements. Um, seeing the that war is not just a black and white thing. Um, giving us a more nuanced version. Uh, telling us a war, an actual war story. Um, these are things that we really haven't done. Um, in Star Wars, at least not like not like this. Okay, so and, I'm gonna uh, okay finish the finish that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know, I I really appreciate Star Wars the best when it's doing something new, right? Um, it can be really difficult for longtime fans to accept the newness of something, but I also feel like that's when Star Wars is often at its best. And so this movie, it taps into the nostalgia with all of the details, um, the Death Star and Tarkin and Vader and all that stuff. But it gives us a new story, new characters, and most importantly, a new approach and aesthetic. Um, this being darker, um, it's, more of, it's more of what the adults in the room have been clamoring for Star Wars to be for the last 30 years. Um, since Return of the Jedi came out, um, and and so they finally got it. You, you you talked about the Darth Vader scene. People have been clamoring for that Darth Vader scene for thirty years. They finally got it. Um, people wanted a more adult Star Wars, and they. So for for me, that's really why it's essential. So uh, some a couple things you said in there, and I'm going to skip ahead to one of your your. Uh, other questions here because you said that your question was is the expanded lore of the force welcome and so a couple things that i heard when rogue one came out as much as i like the darth vader scene a lot of people like the darth vader scene people were all butthurt because they didn't want a star wars movie with a lightsaber they wanted, and they they didn't want a Star Wars movie with stuff about the Force. You know that those were criticisms that I heard, and that I told you I was going to rant a little bit because that this that those those arguments make me mad because that is what uh, the the Force. How do you how do you know this movie is not Star Trek? It's because it's got the Force and it's got a lightsaber. Really, I mean, otherwise it's it's another sci-fi thing. But that's what that's one of the key ingredients. There are other ingredients that go into making Star Wars, but two key ingredients is the Force and lightsabers. So people who got all freaked out at with the prequels because there's Jedi running around with lightsabers all over the place. Well, that that's what Star Wars. That's part of Star Wars. Um, so I guess I could take it a step further and say, you know what? You know, I'll, I'll play your game. I want to see a Star Wars movie without a blaster. I'm tired of all these blasters in Star Wars. You see what I mean? It's kind of a it's kind of a ridiculous ridiculous argument. So the people who wanted to see a Star Wars movie without any Jedi or without any lightsabers. Now, however, let's go back to Solo for a second, and I will say. Darth Maul and his lightsaber. Now, if if Darth Maul would have interacted with Han Solo at some point, then that would have like been a cataclysmic event because Han Solo says famously in Episode Four, "I 
I ain't seen nothing that tells me that some there's all some all powerful force controlling my destiny. You know, if he would have seen somebody with a lightsaber, then that that phrase loses all meaning. So having Darth Maul in that in that movie kind of makes things askew. But having in Rogue One, Chirrut talking about the Force, um, having Darth Vader with his lightsaber, uh, th- again, those are key ingredients to a Star Wars movie. I don't know. So that's my mini rant. I'll, I'll throw that out and let you guys say Well, I, I like those connections as well. Um, I like what they did with the Force in this movie. It wasn't just the standard Jedi apprentice, you know, rule of two with the Sith and the, all that stuff already seen before. This was, all right, we have the Guardians of the Wills. Oh, what's that all about? Um, I am one with the Force. Here we, we actually get a further explanation of the Kyber Crystal. Um, uh, Jetta at being a holy planet that, you know, where they honor Jedi. Jedi, um, at one point, obviously, with the giant statue that you see in the desert, um, uh, Jen's mom with the with the crystal around necklace. You know, I mean, there are a lot of little touches here that give us like a different viewpoint of the Force, and I really appreciated seeing that. It gives us a richer background for this stuff. Um, it's like there's a way we keep talking about it. it's like there's a way to pay homage to what's come before, but also sort of build on what's come before. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, I think one of the things that I appreciated the most about Rogue One in terms of the force and whatnot was that in I mean, we've always heard it called a religion, and this was the first time we're actually saw of it treated as such because Chirrut even though he's a guardian of the will, even though he's somebody who's been around Jedi or you suspect he was around Jedi for on force at one point, doesn't exhibit any force abilities. All of his actions are taken from training and faith. So it's an interesting juxtaposition they give us because we know they know that we've seen Jedi in action. We've seen people move stuff with their mind, use minds, move stuff with the force, jump high, run fast through the force and see the future through the force. This was the first time that I think they kind of got treated as a religion, as, as something that you have to have a little element of faith, which is where the dynamic between him and base comes in, that Chirrut still holds on, holds on to that faith element, whereas Chirrut and even Jin don't. It's not until the end that they finally come to grips with their, you know, the idea of the force moving them towards his action. And, you know, they take it as an act of faith that they're going to have to accomplish this mission. Cool. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I had to, to bail there for a second. There was it sounded like chaos going on in my house, but it was all good. Um, uh, so now, you know, the, but does my I don't know if you, you said anything to my point. What do you guys think about uh, what I said about, I mean, the force and lightsabers just being key ingredients? I mean, you, you kind of I mean. You kind of now. I would. I would not say mandatory because, again, I say you know if it's going mm-hmm. to be a solo movie, then it does not make sense. Right. But for that, you know, for something like this, for that, I mean, it it is one of those key ingredients. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it's 
part of me wants to say yes it is i mean it is a key ingredient you have to have at the same time though we always kind of juxtapose that with the idea of well can you have a star wars movie without them or what's a star wars project without them and you've had them now and then primarily in the books and in the games and some of the comic books and uh they do fine i don't know if necessarily that will work outside of the movies because we haven't you know, no, no, nobody's signing up for a Star Wars movie, or at least Disney's not making a Star Wars movie without a lightsaber. They gotta sell you that lightsaber. Uh, but I think from a, you know, as long as it fits from a story point, I think it's fine. I think you need, you know, if you're right in terms of that, it makes it unique because it is, you know, that's one of those things that that Star Wars can bring to the table and nobody else can. So, uh, all right. Uh... I'm going to take another one from Dave's list. I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. K2SO is the best droid in Star Wars. Prove me wrong. And I'm <laughs> going to sit my beer as you do that. I can't. <laughs> it's impossible to prove that wrong. He, he's the best. Why do you think that is? Uh, is it, is it, you know, I, because I thought I, he is probably one of my favorite. And I'm a big R2D2 fan. I was, I'm really butthurt that R2-D2 didn't have more to do in the sequel trilogy. I understand what was going on there. But, um, but K2, the only thing I can come down to is I just think it was, and maybe I think it was such a well-conceived character from the outset, whereas I don't necessarily think C-3PO is a well-conceived character from the outset. I think Anthony Daniels, you know, and Lawrence Kasdan kind of created that character um, as they went. But K2SO seemed to have been just well-conceived from the, and, and also Alan Tudyk did an just incredible job, you know, with the acting. But I don't know, what makes him so great? I, I think one thing that I would point to, well, other than Alan Tudyk's performance, which is amazing, he's, he's great in everything that, he, that he's in, um, it's, I, I immediately am drawn in to a relationship with that character because the other characters on screen have a relationship with that character. Cause like when you see R2 and C3PO first show up on screen, they're kind of just in their own adventure, right? They're the bickering peasants, you know, the, you know, the whole, the whole yeah. yeah, the whole archetype, right? Um, the comic relief. Um, K2 is, um, he has a history and a partnership with Cassian. Um, and, and, and then, the, that, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to interject something yeah. and a moral compass beyond just his programming. Mm -hmm. That's true as well. Yes. Um, and so he comes across as a very, um, <laughs> like character in that way very um, empathetic yeah yeah and uh and you know for for everything that he does that's you know he gets he gets these great comedic moments he, he has a couple of hero moments um but yeah i think it's like they they establish him right off the bat as as an equally valuable member of this of this whole party He's going to be the one one of the two characters I want to see the most of in the Cassian Andor series. 
because I want to see that dynamic develop because he had a relationship with Cassian that was unique. Yes, he obeyed him. Yes, he found him, but it wasn't a, you know, it was, it was interesting. In but as that, much as, I'm sorry, I'm going to interject here again, as I agree with you, but as much as the thing that worries me about the Cassian series is that if we get too much K2SO, then it becomes like too much of the Rodney Dangerfield character in Caddyshack. You mean Caddyshack where, too? Well, yeah, or the, the yeah, the it wasn't exactly that character. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I, I would, I do want more, but it's like there is a possibility that you could get too much. Anyway, mm -hmm. keep going, Fredo. I'm oh, sorry. No, 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 no. I agree. I agree. There has to be a balance, and and that's one of the things that I liked in the in the way that they had all these characters. And maybe that was just a question of the edits they had to do and the runtime they had to fit. But that we got just enough out of each of the characters to kind of get get to know them a bit and like them. Uh, so I, you know, but I think in terms of best droid ever, yeah, it's kind of hard. To, the the only one I've ever compared them to, and I know, you know, you know, you guys probably don't know Knights of the Old Republic, but it's HK forty seven, which is he's the most awesome, you know, bad bad McClunky droid ever who was a, uh, an assassination droid that you find, and he's always trying to get you to convince you to let's go kill your, you know, these you know people. But outside of that, I mean, that's the only other droid that I think comes to its level because it's all personality. I mean, I love R2, uh, 3PO, you know, BB-8 was adorable, but I think that's one of those problems where personality matters, and K2 had it in spades. And I think we lost that. No, no, I'm just trying to, I'm sorry, I'm preoccupied. Um, <laughs> no, I, again, I, I, I agree with Dave. I agree with both of you. Um, mm -hmm. But the thing was that he was the most human droid that we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Speaking of droids for a second on a tangent, that droid on Jedi Temple Challenge, and I understand that this show is not made for me, but I want that droid to be sliced down by one of those kids with a real lightsaber, and I want it to happen fast. That's an annoying character. Anyway, um, but um, let's talk uh, Jin and Cassian. Um, was their relationship handled properly? That was Dave's question. So uh, I'll say one thing. I have a bit of a screed that I've written out about all about this particular topic. So I may go last um, <laughs> and just let you guys tee us off here. Okay. I will say that I thought it was uh, um, I thought it was handled properly. Um, the, you know, if it would have gotten too romantic, I, th I think that would have taken away from from the overall story. It not it, not everything has to be a boyfriend girlfriend thing. Um, that being said, if you are on a beach and you see the nuclear explosion heading your way the the human thing to do you know whoever you're with you're going to embrace and you're going to meet this fate together because it's you know you're not going to just sit there and watch it you know it's so for them to embrace and like they did that i thought it was i thought it was the way it should have gone i was I w i'm not going to say it's perfect i think i think it's the way it should have gone um I thought I thought their relationship through the whole movie was one of we don't trust each other. You know, when Jin says trust goes both ways, um, to uh, it, it goes to a 
level of respect and admiration. And again, I don't think a romantic admiration. Um, so, Fredo? No, I'm going to agree with you. I mean, the, the, the one criticism I always have for it, and it's, again, it's a result of everything that happened behind the scenes, that, that relationship probably needed another 15, 20 minutes of screen time in order to flesh out that dynamic shift that goes when, you know, Jen and uh, Cassian don't trust one another, and then they find out the truth of one another, and then when the rebellion, the Alliance refuses to attack Scarif, they side with one another. Other than that, I think they handled it really well. It makes sense from where they're coming from. These are these are people in the lower echelon of things. They've been taught to protect themselves at all times because, you know, they're on the run. They don't they don't see greater. One has lost his sense of greater purpose, and the other one never had it because of all of all the stuff that kind of happened along the way. So they're kind of rediscovering their, if you want, their passion for a cause greater than themselves. So I thought it was excellently handled. I love the way that it ended. Uh, yeah, adding a romance on top of that. I think would have been too much. I'm pretty sure that Brittany and I were both sitting there going, don't kiss, don't yeah. kiss, don't kiss, yeah. don't kiss. If you kiss, I'll be mad. If you kiss, I'll be mad. And I think because that was, it seemed like when they're giving kind of each other a look the on look? the beach, that was like, oh, come on. No, we're not gonna. Mm -hmm. And thank God they didn't. So, uh, Dave. Screed away. The, the floor is yours. <laughs> But I'm, um, but I'm out of beer, so. Yeah, well, um, maybe this is a good time for you to go get one. Um, I So, like, for me, like, we talk about, like, the point. Of, I always go, what's the point? Why are we watching this movie in the first place? And so, like, for me, this movie is all about um, sacrifice and, and what war demands of people in, in that way. Um, and, and so for, like, that message... Uh, to be conveyed, I tend to agree with you guys. I think, like, the romanticism, if it had occurred, would have probably just distracted from that point. Um, I, I, and I, I just love the arc that each of these characters takes because they kind of intersect in a way. Um, you know, Jen starts out, like, as not involved, right? That's just, she's choosing not to be involved. But we also see in this movie how war treats people who don't get involved and it doesn't treat them well. Um, but how does the war machine affect non-participants? Uh, Jen's mother is murdered. Uh, Galen is imprisoned. Uh, Jen is orphaned. Uh, Cassian uh, kills his informant. Um, the, the crying girl in the middle of the firefight, all the innocent citizens on Jeddah. Uh, saw Guerrera engaging in terrorism and, and no doubt um, affecting a lot of people who weren't directly involved in that way. Um, it's, it's a very messy thing. And so what, what's, what's, what's true to her character is you understand why she wouldn't get involved because you see the path of her father, which was resistance from within the shackles, so to speak, but he wasn't she didn't know that about him, right? She, he was just part of the empire or whatever, whatever she thought. Um, so she would instantly kind of turn away from that. But then she also saw Saw's viewpoint, which again is a question, questionable methodology, right? 
terrorism and all these, you know, gross deeds. So you see why she wouldn't follow either of those examples. But we also understand that she might be doomed by not getting involved. And so she sort of gets just pulled into this thing. Um, and you can tell that like her heart's not really in it until she gets that message from her father that, that it outlines his resistance and his love for her. And she's motivated at that point to see the plan through. And so it's interesting when you contrast that with Cassian because he's been neck deep in this since he was a child and he's been hardened by it. And for him, it's an ends justify the means kind of mentality. Um, and I, I always like this line that came from Chirrut when uh, he and when they're all, they've all been imprisoned by um, Sagarera. Um, and Chirrut, who just kind of cuts through everything as he is wont to do, he says, There is more than one sort of prison captain. I sense that you carry yours wherever you go. Mm -hmm. And it's just in, indicative of that obvious weight that he has been carrying around with him throughout his life. The war has taken its toll on him. And, you know, the, it all sort of comes to a head when they argue in the ship after um, after Cassian has um, not taken a shot at her father, but only just not taken a, a shot at her father. Um, he sneers at her privilege because um, he's devoted every ounce of himself to this cause, like to the point where a lot of his humanity has been sacrificed. It's like, in a way, this his robot companion has more humanity than he does. Um, but then you have Jen, who is very much, you really much understand where she's coming from. It's like, you put people in harm's way unnecessarily. And so it's a riveting argument because you understand both points of view. And they kind of each do their dance and they walk away from it and they don't resolve it, but it sets the table for when Jen finally makes her speech, um, that speech that falls on deaf ears and convinces Cassian that yes, this is, this is, this is a path that I can follow as well. And this is, this is what we need to do this thing because it's really important. I haven't been fighting for, you know, 25 years or whatever for us to just fail now. Um, and for her, she's desperate to complete her father's mission. And, and suddenly their goals align. And, and it's, it's great because you see not only the ramification of war on other people but this is where it all starts to come home it's like what 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 are we demanding of ourselves um and they, they've each sacrificed so much to, to to just get to this moment and then they eventually have to pay the ultimate sacrifice which is their deaths you know and i would argue that there's no way that either of them could have survived this movie and this movie been in effective um 
by the same token, their mission had to be a success. We know this because of the cannon. <laughs> um, but <laughs> if they had failed in their mission, the film would have failed because we're so wrapped up in them succeeding. We are taking that ride along with them that their sacrifices have to mean something. And so, you know, do the ends justify the means? Um, I'm not sure if this movie makes that argument. It, it talks about it talks about that concept for sure, but it doesn't necessarily make a final argument one way or the other. Um, but we do know that the ends, so to speak, demand sacrifice. And, and this movie shows us that. And 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 it and again, like like the best art that you can uh, experience, it's a reflection of our world and the world around us. And and that's and again, that's me. That's my that's my screed. <laughs> uh, I wanted to get all that out, um, but yeah, I I I couldn't appreciate this movie more in the way that it succeeds in that mission. Yeah. So can I jump in right quick because I'm gonna go for it. Yeah, dovetail something you said, and it's. Uh, it's something that one of the elements that kind of took me by surprise watching Rogue One, and that's Saul Guerrero. And it's the fact that you have been you have a character who's been fighting this war for so long that he's lost sight of his mission and his and his mechanism for achieving his goals become twisted and turned and you know, he doesn't care, you know, it's almost like he doesn't care at that point about what he has to do, who he has to sacrifice in order to beat, no, in order to make the empire hurt, and it's surprising because you don't, you've never seen that before in Star Wars, and of course it spills over into Rebels and some of the other properties because it's so vital for people to understand that even in a concept of an intergalactic civil war, the Alliance, the good guys, were not necessarily all on the same page as to what limits they're willing to go to in order to achieve victory. And uh, it's interesting having a character of his quality, of his quality, of his magnitude in this story, because it's showing you that, yeah, sometimes in doing the right thing, you also have to do it the right way. Otherwise you lose sight of what you're supposed to be doing and you just become as twisted as the whole thing you're fighting. Vader. I mean, he's a he's a, an obvious comparison point for Vader. Yep. You know, he even does the, like the pulls his mask up at one point and breathes into it. You know, and it it's just like, oh gosh, you know, you've twisted yourself into something that you never intended. Mm -hmm. See, another A plus answer. So, <laughs> so do you guys do you guys think uh, there is a? I'm going to put this in air quotes. A Snyder cut that is out there that. Or do you think that Lucasfilm just burned all the stuff that was uh, filmed previously? Because that what was it like the 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 number I thought I saw was like eighty percent of the movie was reshot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, because remember we've and this is part of the uh, the promotional material. We saw a lot of stuff coming before the movie came out that didn't happen in the movie. Shots that were shot now. Some stuff was filmed specifically for the trailer. So like. Uh, some of the stuff on the beach with like Krennic walking on the beach that was never meant to be in anything but the trailer. I disagree. Uh, that was, I think, supposed to be in there because okay, it was, well. 
that was also kind of a Vader going down the beach, you right. know, a whomping and a whooping. But that's just so, it. We know that we know that the beach battle looks differently, looked differently at one point. We know well, that stormtroopers were, were supposed to be walking through the water, and Jin was supposed to be running across the beach. Yeah, I, I just wonder yeah. if there's if there is a cut out there, or if we're ever going to get a behind the story book or something like that. Probably. And do you not. think it would be? Probably, I would agree with you that probably not. We're probably not going to see that. But do you think it would be wise of Lucasfilm to allow that type of book to be written? Not saying release the movie. I'm saying to have somebody write a book of saying, "Hey, kids, this is what this is the story of Rogue One," or allow allow that person who doesn't work for Lucasfilm anymore to write that book. Forwards, Duel of the Fates. I you saw the reaction that the Star Wars community had when uh, the treatment that was originally written for episode nine leaked out in the weeks after uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker. And now everybody merely saw some of the art that was in the art of and leaked out. And then you saw some of the, you know, the, the script treatment that leaked out and everybody lost their mind going like, how much better this would have been as a movie and how this better could so, you can put it out, but I think you have to uh, uh, put it in its proper context. And that proves difficult because sometimes the path not taken is the one that ends up looking the prettiest. And well, also, it, you know, it also, uh, again, when we get into our conversation about, you know, you need to listen to the fans type of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's like any form of art. Who does it belong to? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people who get mad at George Lucas for tweaking with his movies, um, my whole thing from the get-go of that was ultimately that's his movie. And somebody would argue that the minute you put art on the wall in a gallery or the minute you release a movie that it becomes that, like, the public has a partial ownership of it. It's like they're the Green Bay Packers or something. I don't know. But, you know... I don't know. That's the, that's a whole other episode. That's that's discussion. a long discussion. Yeah, that's a long discussion because, in some ways, I can see why people feel that way. Because the fact of the matter is, but I do. Way, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say the way that a piece of art, whether it's a painting, a piece of music, a movie, whatever, hits you, it, particularly if if it connects with you, in some ways, some people treat that as sacred, and it can be really hard to tell people. Oh no, we're changing things about the thing that hit you, and that's going to be a very emotional reaction because art hits us on an emotional level. Well, and it, you know, so what I was going to say is that I, I do. I, I when you talk about context. I do think that it's like, all right, this is this is the Rogue Rogue, Rogue One movie that we got, and it's mm -hmm. awesome. But to to hear the history of what it went through and what it might have been. I think is a valuable story. It's much like, you know, any it's VH1 behind the music, you know, it's like, you know, you watch your favorite band and then you understand, you hear all the dark stories of drugs, prostitutes and whatever, you know, it's like, does it make you like that band less? Probably not. Does it like make you like that band more? No, but it makes you appreciate a little bit more of the greater story of that band. Um, so I just think it would be a, a fascinating story, especially if there was 80% read, you know, redo. I, I, yeah, I would be interested in seeing 
some of those shots, particularly because I imagine not all of them are finished in terms of special effects. Not all of them have been edited. Them. But just the idea of seeing, like for example, like what I was watching earlier uh, today, somebody intercut some of the deleted scenes from Return of the Jedi, where uh, Moff Jergerod was supposed to be aiming and firing the Death Star at the Force Moon of Endor. And yeah. I've never seen those, you know, in, or at least I've not seen those cut in with the Battle of Endor. So you have this moment that you had no idea was supposed to happen at all while you're watching Return of the Jedi. I'm like, wow. So I guess the Emperor really did want to burn everything down, didn't care if he lived or died. If anybody, you know, he wanted to just take everything away from everybody. But, so it's an interesting exercise because it, it can reveal new things about the story. You know, but as like I said, as long as you juxtapose it in its proper context. Yeah, like I said, we'll be talking more about, you know, how much input fans should have on the art form and on, on the movies and stuff like that in a future episode. We got that lined up um, with a guest. Um, but hey, yeah, so I, I think we all are big Rogue One fans. That's obvious. Um, and uh, you know whatever they whatever they did, I think you know that that was the one they needed out of the gate for these new Star Wars spinoff movies. Um, we and, we each have it in our top five, right? Mm -hmm. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's it. it I, here's like as you were saying, it's the kind of movie you can watch and uh, you enjoy it, and uh, it's surprising because it does so many things away from the traditional. Star Wars formula, but it still finds a way to be a hundred percent Star Wars. Oh, we didn't even yeah, we didn't even talk about just the the aesthetic detail that they put in everything mm -hmm. um, that to make to make it seem like it fit and it doesn't feel like a movie that was created in the two thousands that tried to fit in what you know. Um, so they just they just did a great job of of matching the aesthetics. Um, well, cool. Well, with that, we'll start to, well, I guess we'll wrap things up. Um, remember, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Podbean, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, and uh, so other than that, uh, hope everybody has a, a great week and um, a little bit of Saints news. New Orleans Saints said they're going to be blocking off the first eight rows in the Superdome. So all the people that pay the most money, they're going to have to be, I don't know, pushed up in the 600s. I don't know what's going to happen there. This is all going to be really interesting. Of course, uh, a guy, the guy who um, he was actually one of my doctors, Dr. Stewart from Tulane, um, he actually worked on my uh, neck and then got me to a shoulder guy. Um, my sister worked with him, but he said, if anybody wants any football, wear your masks. Mm -hmm. That was basically a quote from him today at the some state uh, uh, meeting. He said, if anybody wants any football, wear your mask. Wear your mask. Yeah. So, yeah. So everybody, wear, wear your mask. And you can McClunky that out, Dave. Uh, <laughs> But uh, and congratulations to Olivia for winning Star Wars trivia, Dave. You're raising your kids correctly, um, but just don't get them the baby bop it. <laughs> I don't think you have to worry about that one. So um, with that, we'll uh, um, 
We've got some exciting episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks. So please make sure you come back and tell your friends and share and like and everything on social media. But until then, we'll say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And we'll see you guys later. Bye. My tongue